Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. You're listening to KWAM 990. My guest today, Keith Quinn, and he is a frequent guest, and Drew Johnson. And we're going to talk about what in the world is going on with this violence, this political turmoil. I mean, it is we're rocking and rolling and going from one next to the next. I mean, it's just moving through, and it's kind of like um, you get up in the morning to see what in the world happened yesterday, and that, that right there, when you've got that much volatility going on, that can literally cause the market and you to really get somewhat nervous. So when we get with these guests, we're going to find out exactly what does that mean, how do we manage it, what are the thought processes? And I can't wait to hear all the things. There's some great things that happened last year, and I'm going to get Keith to talk a little bit about that. And then Drew's going to drive into Europe. And, I mean, Europe's, I mean, good gracious, it's across the world. What in the world is happening and why is it happening? And, of course, you'll hear our opinions and our thoughts. But the reality is the second half of the program we're going to invite Drew Johnson to come, not Drew, Drew's going to stay with us, but we're going to invite Scott Jordan to come in, and literally, we're going to kind of find out if all of this is unrest, if this is creating the volatility which it did this week in the market, then what do you do? How do you manage it? Do you cut off the television and not watch it? That's a suggestion. Not bad. Number two, though, do you do you get out of the market? Not a good one. So we're going to find out what will Scott talk about with us? How do we manage through that? But we're going to take a break, and we'll be back in just a minute And with my guest. And our guests are going to dive in to some good things that's going on. How do you manage the bad? And how do you just not get too excited? And that's going to be Keith Quinn, Drew Johnson. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, Scott Jordan, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs, it's what we do. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. 
And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. My guest today, Keith Quinn, Andrew Johnson. And I, look, guys, welcome to the program. Thanks for being a part. Oh, thanks for having us. You know, here's the thought. Uh, you had a lot going on last year. You had a lot happening. We, I, I kind of want to dive back. There was a lot of volatility last year. We've just gotten through, you know, the month of January. And right. if we think about last year this time, we were reeling from a tremendous drop. And the think, thought is, we didn't have that. We've kind of seen the market move and do the things it's supposed to do. So let me do this, Keith. And I would like to kind of step back. Let's look at history. Right. And then I want to think a little bit about what this volatility drew really means to us and how we dive into it. Give us some of the things that, well, first of all, I just, let's start with U.S. household net worth. Last year, we saw some tremendous improvement with household. We really, we really did. And, you know, household net worth is one of those things that, again, goes to consumer confidence. Consumer confidence is one of those things that we talk about a lot because it drives retail sales, which makes up about two-thirds of our economy. Mm -hmm. But household net worth, so before 2007, before we had the recession, you know, household net worth had kind of peaked. But since then, we're up to household net worth. Now, get this number. 90 trillion, 90 trillion dollars of household net worth. And that's about a third higher than it was in 2007, the pre-recession peak. So it just shows us that people are doing better. So the the single family home, the single family home, and that's been a big point of contention is doing better. It's it's past recession. We finally last year had the average home uh, price past the pre-recession level. So it shows that the housing market has recovered. Now it's taken the housing market a long time. Obviously, it didn't take the stock market that long to recover. We're up, you know, over 200 percent since the lows of March. The stock market doesn't do the buying and and, doesn't do the buying. And that's exactly right. Exactly right. That's the consumer. Yeah. So the consumer and so we need to be sensitive to that. If that that's a critical number as it moves through that. And let me ask both of you guys. Drew, let me start with you. Do you feel that? Do you sense that? Do you run with crowd of people today that they seem to feel like, hey, I'm doing better than I did in 2007? You know, I, I think a lot of people are still kind of thinking in terms of avoiding going through a 2008 situation again. I think that they're so true. I think they're cautiously optimistic about it. They know that they're better off and their lives are better off, but they're a a lot more reticent to rack up debt the way that they might've been before. Uh, They're more cautious about what they're, what they're spending. You know, that's a great point. What about the debt ratio? It was, we, I know that that's improved. We're saving more money. Right. So we look at one of the numbers, and it's called the uh, the household debt ratio. And it's the percentage of disposable personal income that goes to service debt. And what we've seen is that's hit the lowest level since 1980. So people aren't as leveraged as they were before the recession in 2007. But I think Drew's exactly right. You know, 2008 was such an emotional event, especially in the market. When you think about the S&P 500 being down 57% from peak to trough, it takes people a long time to recover and to get the confidence back and to realize that as we talk about an awful lot, volatility, when you're talking about uh, investing in stocks, especially, that's just the name of the game. You know, and I think people, when we when we go through, I mean, President Trump has created somewhat of a, um, now we talk about this in the office, uh, an anxiety because we're not sure what he does. And we'll talk a little bit about what he's done over the last couple of weeks since taking office. But the key is the consumer, as you said, the consumer, not only household net worth, but the debt ratio is drew so effectively said. And what you're saying, we're just in better shape. I mean, let's just put it where it is. 
we may have this anxiety because we don't know what he's going to do. And that is creating, as you know, it creates a sense of concern, a sense of uh, what's happening. I mean, we saw, well, just a perfect example of that. Last weekend, he comes in and says about immigration, and it affects uh, last week's uh, Monday, Monday and Tuesday. Well, absolutely. He came out with the travel ban. <clears throat> travel ban on immigration, and, and, and it was a temporary ban, uh, but it was pretty poorly implemented, and it was poorly rolled out. And I think, you know, a little bit of the confidence in the market was shaken by the fact that it was a little bit poorly executed. So it as, has these great ideas, but the rubber hits the road when you turn these ideas into law, when you turn these ideas into something that can actually move the needle. You know, I, I, I did not return his call. Uh, he called. And he wanted, wanted to get yeah, your advice on that. Well, that's smart of him. And the, yeah, that's, yeah, well, the point is, what I'm saying, is it it's it apparently appears to me that um he may not be listening to his advisors as much as I would like for him to and he I hate to say this about our president but the reality is I feel like sometimes he's knee jerky he's thought through it but he doesn't think of the results of what he says and what it does. I could not agree more. And but I would say this, you know, he was le- elected on a platform to disrupt things. Well, uh, and he is absolutely disrupting things. I would say chief disruptor, chief disruptor. <laughs> absolutely. Disruptor in chief. But yeah. I would say that, you know, again, and thinking about the economy, he's not inheriting a bad economy. So you think about it, you know, you and I have done this before. When you have to prime a pump, you know, it takes a while to get that thing yeah. primed for it to start running. Well, he's already inherited an economy that's doing pretty well. The pump's already primed. So if you can put some things behind that, some tailwinds at his back, tax cuts, regulatory reform. Uh, He signed an order the other day that I just thought was just excellent. Uh, It was an executive order to expand the regulatory review of regulations with the goal of revoking two regulations for every new regulation that's put forward. We need to get regulations. He's talked about reducing corporate regulations by 75%. That is a huge plus for businesses. You know, I guess the thought is, I mean, if you go back to Truman, I mean, I saw this in the paper the other day. The reality is he is with his all the implementations that he's done, right. whether it's an executive order or a memorandum or whatever, he's ahead of the game right now of all the presidents prior to him. Obama was set, was first, but he's passed Mr. Obama, so... And, but it is, you know, it's a, it's a really tough environment. And I am surprised, a little bit surprised, and I guess I shouldn't be, uh, by the level of opposition that he's already gotten, you know, this far into the presidency. And we're talking basically just weeks old, but we see now people that where you have the other side, the Democrats aren't even showing up to committee hearings on Trump's cabinet nominations. Uh, and that's just kind of unheard of. Uh, and it's really just an obstructionist policy. Well, and I do not, I can't see how that's possibly going to work for them. Well, I mean, it is that true. Let's talk a little bit before we get much brother. What are you seeing in Europe? How is Europe reacting to, and by the way, let me make sure everybody understands, Keith Quinn, Drew Johnson, they run the investment group in uh, Memphis and our office is here and they do an outstanding job and just always want to know that, uh, you know, these guys are uh, all at their post because they're watching what's going on. Drew, what do you think? Well, I think Europe is now looking at, or at least some Europeans are looking at what they're seeing here and and thinking that it might be something that they might want to repeat. Now, bear in mind, none of this is coming out of a vacuum. None of it is happening just because Mr. Trump got elected. I was there in France in 2002 when Jean-Marie Le Pen was running against Jacques Chirac at the time. Uh, Now, Le Pen founded the National Front. His daughter runs it now. She actually had her father expelled from the party two years ago because she thought he was too extreme and she wanted to take the party more more mainstream. 
Uh, but the National Front, which is France's primary nationalist uh, anti-immigration, if you will, party, is one of the two front runners for their presidential election uh, that's coming up at the end of April, April 23rd, actually. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of their pledge is to leave for France to leave the EU if they get elected. That's their platform. And what they have the opportunity to do now was to kind of look at us from afar and see what a similar style of leadership with a similar uh, platform is doing and kind of get an idea of what is working well and what isn't. And that'll position them better to implement what they want to do if they win that election. You know, that's a great point. I guess here's here's something I want both of you to weigh in as we talk about this. There seems to be, and it affects us when we think about our household debt, we think about, you know, how is our, you know, the overall net worth and all. I mean, we're doing good, but but we are apparently, it looks like we're almost becoming a rebellious group of people worldwide. And I'm, I'll just go back to Brexit and just use Brexit. I, you're having conversations with people in Europe the day before, and as we talk with them, they, you know, oh, never pass, never pass, never right. pass. You have day before conversations. With people in the United States, he'll never win. He'll never, never win. win. He'll never right. win. Uh, is there this swell? I mean, Drew, is there a swell of people, do you think, in France that say, hey, let's pull out? I mean, there's all this mindset. Do you see that? Are you thinking that? Are you reading that? I, I think that's there. I also think it's been there for years. And whether that'll translate into an electoral victory for the National Front now, who who can say? But <laughs> In other words, we it, predict that they won't happen. That we, we might be surprised. Yeah, I'm out of the election prediction <laughs> yeah, business. I, I'm not. I can't. I can't predict which way it's going to go. But there, there are certainly there's certainly a strong body of European thought. I, I think that it's basically anti bureaucracy. Um, you know, they have ceded part of their national sovereignty, control of their currency, control of their borders. Uh, a lot of their business regulations over to what is in their mind an unelected. Uh, body of legislators and so forth, and they're saying we want to take the control back. Wow, that's a good point. I, I completely right. agree. Keith, weigh in this. Yep. If France pulls out, right now we're speculating, we're right. way out front. But if that pulls out, we're talking in May. Let's just scroll out here to May, June. What does that do to us, the market? Yeah, it, it, it will be a bigger deal. It will be a bigger deal than the Brexit. Okay. The, the Brexit, you know, when the United Kingdom pulled out, and remember the Brexit is a member of the European Union, but they're not a member of the common currency. They kept the pound sterling. France didn't. So France would be the first member of the Eurozone, which all use the Euro as their currency to actually pull out. It would be a big deal. It is much, much more complicated than Britain leaving the you EU. You actually said it to me that it's like a divorce when, you know, no kids. Right. The, the, the divorce with the U.K. leaving, that's like a divorce with no kids. But if France leaves, uh, that's like a divorce when you've got three or four kids and a couple of them are really young. It's going to be very, very hard to manage. Very and you got to think back to Greece here as well. Everyone was very, very concerned about the possibility of Greece leaving the Eurozone. <laughs> and France absolutely dwarfs Greece yeah. in terms of their over economic, overall economic output. Yeah. And remember, we mentioned Brexit, but Brexit hasn't officially happened yet. Theresa right. May did, uh, you know, she That's has right. come over to the U.S. She did meet with President Trump. They said all the right things, and it really sounds great. But she still has to invoke Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, and she said she's going to do that by March 31st. And then that starts the two-year clock for renegotiating all these trade deals with all the separate parliaments in Europe and potentially with all the different countries around the globe. Uh, it's going to be complicated, but we have a little bit more certainty about that. But there's still a lot of unknowns when it comes to Europe. So when we tie this together, you know, I mean, now let's go back. We've talked about that we've had our net worth, U.S. household net worth 
at $90 trillion. It is greater than pre-recession. It's, it now is back to the number right. of pre-recession. It is, uh, yes. And then we've got household debt ratio. Uh, it goes back to the level that we since we, you know, the lowest level in 1980. And uh, we're now growing at about 10 percent. I mean, it's, we're, 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 we're actually stronger. Well, I mean, let me put it right. I didn't say it right. The debt is a percentage of disposable income. That debt ratio right. is low. The lowest level is since 1980. And uh, we've ended at this time, I believe it was about 10%. Right. And another number we look at, and we've talked about a little bit on the show, is the consumer confidence number. Right. Consumer confidence was down a little bit in January, but it was still really high. It's coming off of a 15-year high in December. So consumers are still confident. You know, one of the big uh, ticket items that people will buy is an automobile. Looked at automobile sales in December, and it was over 18 million units, and that's a seasonally adjusted annual rate, but super, super strong sales. So you see a lot of this confidence. Now, again, it's just how does this play out as we go forward with the unknowns? Tax cuts are going to be good for everybody, but I don't think tax cuts are the first thing on the president's agenda. He's kind of hitting some of these things that are more low-hanging fruit that he can take care of with an executive order. There's going to be a little bit more of a negotiation around the tax cuts. Which deductions do you take away? How do you pay for it? How do you rewrite the code? That gets incredibly complicated and does take some time. So tying all this together, let me think about it now. The labor force, we're unemployment. Unemployment is at a, you know, we've seen it drop down to, uh, to a, a, you know, a low that we haven't seen since 2007, even though the labor force participation rate is too high. And that just means that we have an awful lot of people that stopped looking for work. And that's not a good sign. But with uh, the unemployment rate down around the four and a half, four, six range, that basically means we're very close to full employment. And that's a big deal on the labor markets, because then that factors in to our inflation expectations. We start talking about wage inflation, and of course, that goes back to the Federal Reserve. And are they going to raise rates this year? All right, there's a great question. Now, let me help you with this. We've had the Dow Jones, we've had the S&P, and we've had NASDAQ. All of them have hit highs, all-time highs. Right. I mean, first time they've all been at all-time highs since 1999. Right, and of course, Dow 20,000 got a lot of the headlines. Yep, and so, all right, guys, as we think through this, as we're pushing this, as we're Think, give me your scenario, because we're going to have Scott come in in a few minutes. I mean, it's, I heard the word, well, we're at a bubble. Uh, you know, do you see a bubble? Do you think? True, weigh in on that, and then, you know, Keith, you do. Economically, I, I don't. I don't know that we can say definitively that that there is one. Uh, certainly, the the yield curve data wouldn't seem to point in that direction. The inflation data wouldn't seem to push in that direction, and. And I think the the takeaway from a lot of the news that we've had over not just over the past few weeks, but honestly over the last four years, and we've had Arab Spring, ISIS, Russian invasion of Ukraine, and all this other stuff that's gone on, and yet we see how much better off we are now mm-hmm. here in America than we were eight years ago, ten years ago. All of that has happened, not just alongside the news cycle, but actually in spite of it. Yeah, I think a, that's reason to be optimistic. Great point. In spite of all the news. They, like we're giving out the debts better, the you know right. how consumer confidence better in spite of the news. So what do you think, Keith? Oh, I agree. It's all the things that we talk about. Now, there's a, a distinction between the stock market and the economy. 
the economy is growing. You know, the 1.9% GDP in the fourth quarter wasn't great. Uh, you know, we'll see how that translates into uh, growth this year. And we would expect it to be right around two or two and a half percent of GDP growth. But the stock market, you know, perhaps you could argue that it's getting a little bit expensive. Uh, and that's because the prices have gone up so much. Well, what we need to see now is we need to see earnings catch up to the prices. And so far, earnings have been pretty good for the fourth quarter of 2016. And we expect earnings growth this year uh, to be up around double digits, 10 or 11%. So if the earnings can catch up to the prices, then the market's not quite that overvalued. And again, stocks trade on profits. Cutting corporate tax rates is a good thing for companies, and it's a good thing for all of us as long-term investors. Well, when we come back, what I want you guys to do is to help me summarize for our listeners kind of what we're seeing and what we are feeling. You know what I mean? There's a lot going on, and, and I think the way you said it, stay away from the media in spite of the media. Their thing seems to be doing well. And so I want to kind of help us move in and get, get a summary and so we can help everybody understand it. And then I'm looking forward to Scott saying, okay, here's some things that you want to stay away from. You absolutely don't want to get caught up in all this media blitz. And the, even though it's some good news, some bad news, don't let your decisions be made because of what you're getting from the news media. Make decisions based on your plan. We'll be back. We'll be back in just a second. I got both Dick Quinn. I got Drew Johnson. And I got Scott Jordan coming up. You don't want to miss the rest of the program. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time. It is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, it may be worth more or less than when originally invested. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. You have questions you'd like to have answered on the program. Email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM 990. My guest, Keith Quinn and Drew Johnson. Coming up in just a few minutes, we've got Scott Jordan. We're going to dive into some real fundamental reasons, fundamental thoughts that you need to understand about investing and just basic financial planning. Scott's going to help us get through that. He's going to walk through some ideas that we need to just stay away from and not get too caught in it. But here we got you got two very bright individuals, uh, and we're talking. Where are they? Much, well, yeah, oh. right. Where are they? Oh, they're here. They're here. I, uh, you know, now let's say there's three of us. I was going to say three very bright individuals. <laughs> One of us is getting the shaft. On that uh, no, that's fine. Let me let me just make sure. Let's summarize, guys. You talked about U.S. household net worth up, right? Strong, very good. Number two, U.S. household debt ratio strong. Up, very good. Labor force, we've got low unemployment rates. In fact, some of the levels that we've not seen since, well, go back to August of 2007. Right. Uh, you know, we got wages increased 2.9% year over year in December. Great. I mean, that's the best rate since 2009. So, I mean, people are good. You mentioned consumer confidence um, over and over. So, guys, here's the deal. Things are good. I mean, I feel good. I feel great. I mean, you know, uh, Drew, I mean, you feel good. I mean, absolutely. We, we all say, okay. All right. Now, help me, guys. Is this that euphoria that, that comes before the crash? 
Is that what we're talking about? Here? I think it's I think it's more of a, a sober way of looking back and, and saying, uh, you know, wasn't as bad as we thought. Ah, well, that's a good point. You know, I hadn't thought about that. You know, now, Drew, when you're saying that, it wasn't as bad as we thought. Now, is that 2016 or are you saying because 2008? I'm, I'm thinking all the way back to 2008. And right. since then, I think there's been some pessimism since then. All right. That's a great point. That is that's a lingering pessimism. Exactly. That happens to us because we live through 2008. Well, it totally is. And that was a severe recession. That was real. And it hurt. It hurt. It hurt a lot. So do we make decisions, guys? Help me get through this. We've talked about Brexit. We've talked about France pulling out of the EU. And, you know, I, I like the, your analogy, Keith, where Brexit was a divorce. Okay, bad, but it happened. But uh, France pulling out a divorce with kids, terrible. Terrible. I think that would be. So let me, uh, if I'm thinking of what, what I'm trying to do with my plan, where do I go from here? Well, I think as, as you know, Drew alluded to, you focus on the fundamentals and the fundamentals are the long-term trends. And when we're thinking about long-term trends, whether we have Brexit this year or not, whether France leaves or not, you know, are there some companies in Europe that we would like to own? Certainly they're on sale, a lot of them. And absolutely we would for a long-term prospect. And as investors, that's what we have to think about, the long-term prospect. You know, we've talked about it before. Some of our predictions for 2017, you know, we think stocks will outperform bonds. We think interest rates will go up as the Federal Reserve tries to raise rates and stay a little bit ahead of inflation. We think interest rates going up are a headwind for bonds, but bonds are an important part of your long-term portfolio. So I would say ignore the noise, watch the news for its entertainment value, and it is very entertaining right now, but don't use it to make your investment policy. What do we think about Trump, Drew? I mean, is this a, Mr. President Trump, is he going to continue to be so volatile that we can't make decisions today? No, I mean, I think as he continues to tackle each issue that he spoke to during the campaign and as he goes about fulfilling uh, or trying to fulfill his campaign promises, we're going to run out of issues that have the potential to be volatile because we'll know what policy will be on those things going forward from his administration. And as far as what we've seen with the overall economy, I think this kind of goes back to Adam Smith and classical economics. What we've seen over the last eight years, 10 years with households doing better is that the overall state of, of an economy is healthiest long term when citizens are able to pursue their own self-interest. And that's what people have done. They have pursued what was in their own best interest, reducing their own personal debt, reducing their household debt, and the country as a whole is better off because of it. And so I would say nothing fundamentally has changed. Continue to do what's in your best interest. Uh, that's well said. I mean, that's a about as plain as it could be, as long as we feel good about what, and that goes back to consumer confidence, we feel good, things move. Optimism. One of the words we have not heard in the last eight years has been animal spirits. Uh, I heard a commentator talking on television, and he was talking about driving across middle America, and he said he could not remember a time when he'd seen that many help wanted signs. The optimism would go out and start your business. Small businesses drive a tremendous amount of our growth, and I just think it's a, a really exciting time. Well, you're exactly right, and I think the key is is for us to just approach it from that standpoint, understand it, and, uh, and, 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 and appreciate it. 
And I would say this, you know, for the last eight years, we've been cautioning people, you know, don't worry about it too much. Well, now we have to do the opposite. We have to say, look, don't get too excited. Just because you see Dow 20,000 doesn't mean you totally change your long-term plan and put all of your portfolio into U.S. stocks. You've got to maintain your allocation because your allocation is set up to help you accomplish your long-term goals. All right. When we come back, we're going to be talking with uh, Scott Jordan, and he's going to help us understand some of the fundamentals that we don't get caught up in what we're all excited about, but we're going to let him kind of guide us through some fundamentals that we need to be doing. You've been listening to Talk Money. Keith Quinn, True Johnson have been my guests. They're going to stay with us in the second half of the program, but uh, you don't want to miss what Scott's going to share with us. It is basic, but yet critical if you're going to be an investor in this market. So we'll be back. And when we do, just uh, we're going to go through a whole lot of things and you don't want to miss it. But I got something to read you before we let go, because this is critical. Do we talk about good stuff to be optimistic? There's guys? some good stuff. Humpback whales, giant pandas, <laughs> green sea turtles and manatees were removed from the endangered species list in 2016. The global wild tiger population rose for the first time in 100 years. That'll make you optimistic. (laughs) Don't miss the second half of the program. We'll be back. Scott Jordan, he's our guest. You're listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should always consult with their tax and or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. When Dr. Lemuel Diggs began his medical career at UT Memphis, the city had the highest maternal death rate in the country. When Dr. Diggs investigated the matter, he discovered that in most cases, the patients had bled to death. To stop this tragedy from continuing, he proposed the creation of a blood bank. He believed having refrigerated blood in maternity hospitals would save the lives of countless mothers, and he was right. Despite the clear need for such a project, the university did not have the funding for it. When Diggs appealed to the city, responsibility for the project was referred back to the university. The local community rallied around Diggs and provided him the equipment to open a blood bank in 1938. It was the first in Memphis and the South, and the fourth in the country. This blood bank rapidly became a leader in the processing of plasma and techniques perfected there dramatically improved the efficiency of hospital procedures, saving countless lives. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money, as you know, is brought to you in part by the Bailey Law Firm. Estate planning, elder law, and probate planning for all generations. And I want to thank them. They're one of our key players in what we do, and the fact that they're able to help you Move through a lot of those questions that you have when it comes to setting down and planning for retirement or working through your estate. It's all about elder law. The Mac Bailey Law Firm, Mac Bailey and his team, spends a lot of time with you, answers a lot of questions, and we're proud to have them as one of our sponsors. Be 
sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money and some great music. And uh, Gil Worth is in charge of all that. Does a wonderful job programming this uh, this program. Thank you so much, Gil, for what you do. We appreciate it. Guys, we're talking about um, optimism. We've kind of said that we're, we're optimistic. There's this consumer confidence, and we're kind of excited, and things look good, and we kind of get going. And, and yet we've had volatility this week. So let me welcome that's in the studio with us now, Scott Jordan, certified financial planner with Shoemaker Financial. And and Scott, I, I really appreciate the fact that even though these guys drew a very good picture, I mean, a lot of good things, they pointed out some negatives, and there's some things out there that we have to be sensitive. But what I think Drew said was, you know, just be careful with the media. Don't right. get caught up in the media. I know Keith talks about that a lot. But let's uh, let's just deal with it from our standpoint. When you're talking to a client, what do we do? You know, we've got these the attitudes that we're talking about, how we approach things, the actions we take. Some things maybe we don't do. Um, we get caught up in the in in, in maybe a, a, a mentality. We just get kind of excited about things. We make mistakes. What do you tell a client? What's one of a couple? Of, I'm looking for four or five things that you tell people. To say, be careful. Well, one of the first mistakes we see often is the following the herd, that herd mentality. I mean, we've talked a lot today about the the news media and the pundits, and you know, many economists and, and news media hosts and gurus—they're wrong most of the time, and that tends to lead to a herd mentality. You know, what's hot today may not be hot tomorrow. So, yeah, being careful not to follow the herd, uh, staying disciplined to your investment approach. You know, knowing what your goals are, knowing your time horizon. And knowing what your risk tolerance is and sticking to the plan and being disciplined. Keith, we talked about that, that past performance is not an indication of future performance. Unfortunately, that is very true. So when we say herd, we're talking about the group. We're talking about everybody, you know, you, you go to a party and everybody is thinking X or everybody's a very great, let's go with this. So that's what we mean by that. Whether whether you're, I mean, I could name, you know, everybody says, oh, I got to buy gold or, oh, I got to buy real estate. Oh, I got to right. buy this one. It's like, it's like getting caught up in that mentality. Yes. I own something and it's up 20%. And you yeah. immediately think, well, why don't I own that? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's what happens. All right. Well then Drew, what would you tell them not to do? What would you say? Okay. If that's the case, what do you not do? Well, the first thing I would tell them is that, you know, there's a study out there called the Dalbar study. And what it shows is that on average, mutual fund investors actually earn 2.3% less per year than what the fund earns itself. Mm. And that's because they're following that herd mentality. As people are, are going in because an investment is performing well, what they are actually doing is they are buying that investment when it has become more expensive than it really needs to be. And then when it drops, as it as things inevitably do, when they're too expensive, the prices go down, then those people that ran into that particular stock or that fund or, or what have you experience a loss. And that's because they were following the herd rather than looking at the fundamentals. And so what we tell people is don't pay too much attention to the news. Don't try to chase what's hot. Make your goals determine how you invest. I like the way you said that with the idea of don't get caught up in the in the media blitz. Be disciplined is what you're saying, right? I mean, absolutely. You be disciplined and you try and take the emotion out of it. Now, 
you know, we would always want people to own as many equities as your plan can stand and as you can stand. And it depends totally where you are as far as how you feel as an investor, how much volatility you can actually tolerate. If a portfolio is too aggressive for you, you may be forced to make an emotional decision. And that's absolutely what we don't want to do. You want to be invested in something that you know what you're owning and that you can own for a long time. All right. So first off, Scott, the first one you say is following the herd where everybody gets caught up in this this hot. What's what's hot now this? What's number two? Number two is being an emotional investor. You know, emotions are the enemy of any good investment strategy. And uh, I think we saw since 2008, the psychology of investing kind of changed a little. People became more fearful. You know, in an inflationary economy, it's important that you participate in the market. You know, we're saving for future needs, so we have to participate. So uh, getting too emotional, becoming too fearful. And the flip side of that, and we've seen some of this since the election, is when things start going too well, people go the opposite direction. An inflationary economy. I love the sound of that, though. Yeah. Maybe I'm getting a little well, too right. optimistic. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, Scott? You just mentioned something. We've had people since the election. Uh, let's deal with that. The emotion. Yep. All right. Because you are talking about we've had people actually to call, guys, you know, oh, yes. from the investment side. Oh, my goodness. And they've been very hesitant to be in the market. And in fact, they've been somewhat out of the market or fearful of the market. We have the election. The market goes up, you know, the the Trump bump, you know, whatever you want to call it. The market seems to be, and we've had the volatility. But you've had people, now back to this emotion, and Scott, you're really, that's a very good point. They've now gotten caught up in this. Right. Uh, to where I want to get in the market right. now. Should I be more aggressive? Right. How many times have we heard that recently? Mm. <laughs> so, all right, guys, let's go with it, Keith. What is that? What, if that's an issue, emotions, what do we deal with? Well, it's, it's as we said, you take the you take the short term out of it. You focus on the long term. You know, as a long term investor, it doesn't really matter what policies President Trump institutes. We're going to go up. We're going to go down. Volatility is entirely normal when we invest in equities. You know, we look at a study that would say the average entry year drop. So in a calendar year, the average drop in the S&P 500 is around 14 percent. That's a huge move, but that is absolutely normal. And it happens every single year. Uh, but the good news is that we're typically up three out of every four years. So we're usually up, finish the, the year up in the market about 75 percent of the time. Now, if we finish this year with a positive return in the S&P 500, it will be the ninth year in a row we've had a positive return, and that will be a new record, uh, but that is certainly what we're uh, seeing right now. All right, let me, we've got some research, and, and I think, Drew, you mentioned it earlier, and I and I think this is so critical for us. You talked about sometimes how we get caught up in this, but if you look back eight years, and, and you guys were kind of talking about the slow, you know, struggle with the market, and I grit that. The S&P 500, though, has gained. 216% total return since uh, during, excuse me, during the two terms and the eight years of President Obama. Now, granted, it went to a absolute bottom. But now, how many people, and we were talking about it, this, this fear, Drew, you're talking about that, this mindset. And yet, if you would have said, oh, I got to get out of the market, I, you know, my emotions can't handle this, I get out, you miss that. Even I mean, that's what you missed, 216% growth over the last eight years during his administration, which is an annual gain of 15.5%. That's bad. How do you help somebody, Drew, to not do that? Well, you just have to go back and you have to look at at history and see that there typically what happens a lot of times the very worst day in the market 
can sometimes be followed by the very best day yeah. in that same year. And it happens over and over and over again. So what you're saying is it goes up, it goes down. You said it, Keith. When the market goes down, what's, what is actually happening is the market is coming to you, the investor, and offering you a price lower than what you should be willing to take for it. Mm. And if you don't like what that price is, there's no rule that says you have to sell on that day. You wait until the market comes back and offers you a price for what, you're, what you invest in that you do like. Right. If you'd own just the S&P 500 and you can own index funds that kind of track that, uh, you would have averaged about 8% over the last 20 years. But if you miss 10 days, 10 good days in the market, and of course, the last 20 years, uh, you know, you're bringing in 2007, 2008, 2009. If you miss just those 10 days, your return goes from a little north of 8% to down around 4 So you cut your return in half. And as Drew said, six of those 10 best days occurred within two weeks of the 10 worst days. Mm. So it's stay in the course. Don't get caught up in the noise uh, and don't worry about volatility. Volatility is normal. Well, I think, guys, that you're doing a great job of giving us this mindset where we just don't get don't get caught up in, in whether it's up or it's down. I appreciate what you're saying that there is volatility. Get it out of your mind. This past week we had volatility. Two days, three Absolutely. days, four days. What you know? It just it, it's going to be that way. Just don't let it be driving your decision. Have a plan, have a strategy, stick to the strategy. If you just tuned in, my guest is, let's start with Keith, Drew, and Scott. Keith Quinn, Drew Johnson, Scott Jordan. Very effective people when it comes to talking about the market, talking about what to do, how to manage your emotions, how to literally not follow the herd. There's other things we're going to discuss. If you want to talk to these guys, give them a call, 757-5757. That's 757-5757. We'll be right back after this. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM 990. Now, this part of the program has been brought to you by the Bailey Law Firm, and uh, we appreciate uh, Mac Bailey. They do estate planning, elder law, and probate planning for all generations. Guys, we've been talking about, you know, some things not to do. My guest, Scott Jordan, Drew Johnson, Keith Quinn, and the idea is... You listen to if you've been listening to the whole program, you heard at the beginning of the program some of the things that we're very optimistic, but cautious. But we just tell you to be real when you're going through. Turn the news off. Don't get so caught up in the news. But here's the thing that we've given you three things so far. Number one, don't follow the herd. Don't get caught up in what everybody else is doing, what the hottest thing was last year. You remember we tell you this all the time. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. We know that. So please understand, follow the rules. Be careful not to respond to media. Be disciplined. And that's kind of a mindset for good investment mentality. So that's kind of the first one. Second one, keep your emotions out. I mean, 2008 drew a lot of emotions out of us. And then we created all this mindset. We're saying is just put volatility out of your mind. Know your time horizon, whether it's short term, midterm, or long term. Focus on your long term 
thought process and long-term plan. And then let's go, I guess I'm looking at this third one, Scott. I want to know, I mean, you got three or four I know, and I'm trying to get as many as I can in the show, but third one, what do you think? Third one, you know, we, we always preach asset allocation and diversification, but the, the most important thing to that as well is to rebalance that. As, as market performance causes those weights that we've assigned to each of those categories to get out of whack, we want to at least once a year rebalance that back to our... Why is rebalancing so important? Well, what you're basically doing there is selling your winners and buying your losers, right? So it's a fundamental principle of investing. You want to sell some of your gains off and buy some of the losers. It's, Keith, he says sell Sell your winners. Sell high and buy my losers. Right. That just doesn't sound right. Sometimes it's counterintuitive. You hate to sell the thing that's done so well, but to think about what he said. You're selling high, you're realizing a gain, and you're buying something that hasn't done well. And if anything works in investing, it's reversion to the mean. So the wise investor, the wise investor, I'm going to use that term. I like that. Is literally saying I'm selling my winners and buying my losers at least once a year. Absolutely. I, I get that. Uh, this keeps your access mix. Is what you're saying, uh, Scott? Is it keeps your asset mix? Absolutely, that keeps your asset mix in line with your risk tolerance and your goals. That makes sense. All right. There's an old study that would tell us our asset allocation drives about 92 percent of the variability of our return. So that's why we want to keep that in line with your goals. That's very important. 92 percent. All right. Last thought process here, Scott. Give me. Where would you go if we've done the other three? What's the last one? Well, I think this kind of sums it all up, and that's failing to stick with the strategy. Have confidence in your plan and stick with it. Uh, I'd say correct principles work correctly over time. If you'll stick with the plan, it will work for you. True. That's a discipline, isn't it? That's really trying your best to do what you said you were going to do when you started. That's right. You have to not do what everyone else is doing when everyone else is doing it. Well, wow, that's pretty profound. As you, you know, just don't do what everybody else is doing when they're doing it. That's critical. If you follow the herd, by the time you follow the herd, you've missed it. Don't be exactly. An, don't be an emotional investor. I mean, that's you know, that's what you're saying. Keep that absolutely. What happens, guys? Just real quick, Scott. What happens when you come home and your wife's the emotional investor? Well, that's why I think it's important to involve the spouse in the planning process so that they are on board with the plan, what you're doing, why we're doing what we're doing, and that gives you the strength to stick with the strategy. And I think working with a professional helps in that, having, some, having a sounding board to go talk to when you get ready to make those decisions. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Guys, you've done a great job. We've talked about don't follow the herd. Don't get caught up in your emotions. Those two seem kind of almost like they run together. Then you said diversification, asset allocation, but more importantly sometimes is rebalancing, selling your winners, buying your losers. That, uh, wow, that's tough, but Focus that's important. Focus on the fundamentals. Focus on the fundamentals and then stick to a strategy. What we see is so many times is people don't have that strategy, don't know what they're trying to put together, whether it's a short-term, mid-term, or long-term investment plan, know it and stick to it. And that's what a professional advisor can do. Help you understand what you're truly trying to do and how long you have to accomplish that. 757-5757. If you want to talk to one of these three guys, Scott Jordan, Drew Johnson, Keith Quinn, very, very intelligent young men and very smart when it comes to how do you guide through the process of being 
an intelligent investor. Well, I want to thank, of course, the producer of this program has been Gil Worth. He does a wonderful job, always does a great job for us. Content and guest coordination, Francis Fordner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Mid-South History Moment is read by Rebecca Brazier and written by our very own Drew Johnson. We're so thankful that you joined us this morning, and we appreciate that very much. Join us again every week because we're here helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, Scott Jordan, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. 